Welcome to Press Room on Radio Town. Presented by Garrard's Horse and Hound. Making shopping easier with their online store. The same extensive catalogue, the same keen prices online or over the phone. 1-800-060-896 or visit horseandhound.com.au. Good morning, everyone. This is Press Room for Monday, February 12. Good to be back with you for 2024. And, of course, always interested in what you think. You can contact me via the Twitter at Radio Tab Oz, or the best way is to go through the text of 0499 putter in numbers. That's 0499 786837. 0499 Podcast out each and every Monday. We tweet it on the Radio Tab Oz link or go to Spotify and search under Radio Tab. And, of course, Press Room each and every Monday brought to you with the compliments of Garrard's Horse and Ham. Well, there were plenty of racing topics to digest on my return from holidays, considering it's generally a quiet time of the year. But one stood out for its absurdity, maybe it was just a thought bubble, to fill that quiet time. There was a suggestion that our major stables like Walla, Ma, even Waterhouse and Bot should have their stable numbers capped and or have their representation in races restricted to a certain number. What an absolute crock. Honestly. But funnily enough, this misguided thinking isn't new. Many of our older listeners will remember going back to the early 70s, there was earnest discussion within the AJC to limit the number of runners a trainer could have in a race. Their target in this era was the all-conquering Tommy Smith. It's worth remembering at this time the AJC was not only the principal race club, but was also the controlling body. Fortunately, sanity prevailed and the proposition failed to fly. Here we are 50 years down the track and talking about it again. First and foremost, putters bet because of these stables, not in spite of them. They've established highly successful brands that churn out winners day in and day out. Their success parlays to the jockeys who ride for them. Like those who engage them, they are generally at the top of their tree. Their success also influences thousands of new owners to become part of, a, part of racing, having to be a small cog on the winner's wheel. And they also are big employers, courtesy, of course, of their big horse numbers. In essence, Walla, Ma, Waterhouse, Bot are an integral part to the success of horse racing. The notion to cap stable numbers or runners in races is so misguided, it really doesn't even bear considering or discussing how it could possibly be implemented. First day back in the press room, best put the rubbish out before moving forward. Time now to chat with Ben Dorries, first and foremost on press room each and every Monday. Ben, good morning. Yeah, good morning, David. Well, you came out swinging yesterday in the press, and for those who didn't read it or didn't read it on RaceNet, it's regarding Curic and uh, some cost-cutting that's being done. Firstly, I want to discuss this in some detail, but firstly, tell our listeners who maybe haven't read the story just what the the, the, the bones to the story was, then we'll discuss the ramifications of it. Oh, yeah, David, the bones to the story really were... Um, Keurig is or has reduced the number of vets on course, um, on race day that is, and sample collection officers, which are known as swabbies, they're the ones that, you know, take samples from horses, in both cases from two to one. Now, um, purportedly this is a a cost-saving measure, but look, I mean, I I think it's ridiculous, quite frankly. I I mean, this is the same organisation who has spent... $400,000, $400,000, I believe, on the ongoing Alligator Blood Court matter. I mean, there's been, you know, money going in, in all different directions, yet Keurig's very charter is to do with the integrity of racing and animal welfare. Now, reducing the number of vets and swabbies on course, I've got absolutely no idea uh, how that fits into that charter. And look, um, you know, rightly, you know, trainers... Um, you know, and, and breeders are, are up in arms. I mean, the, the Queensland Thoroughbred Alliance, which, you know, Cameron Partington, who also heads the Trainers Association, is, is sort of the spokesman of. He said, look, this is just totally unacceptable to our industry and the welfare of people and animals, uh, along with the you know, integrity of racing, are both areas of concern that, are t- that should be totally beyond compromise. So, look, that's the bones of the story, David. So, currently... KPMG are uh, conducting or embarking on a review of Curic at the request of the government. That says something in itself. I've been away, um, but this was a discussion before I went away. Are you hearing or are you getting a vibe from the industry in general that this review could also, all, almost be like window dressing just to be seen to be doing something? Is is that an unfair comment? Uh 
I reckon it is in some ways. I, I must admit, I thought that to start with, but I reckon there are so many growing concerns in so many areas that the Racing Minister, Grace Grace, if she does not listen to some of this stuff, uh, yes, quite frankly, she's got rocks in the head. So, look, I, I haven't been party to any of the internal meetings, you know, in regard to this, but, I, I mean, look, quite frankly, I think I don't, you know, I don't exactly know what, um, but look, there are questions, I guess, from the industry about the leadership of Keurig, uh, about the structure of Keurig, about a lot of its processes. And to me, I mean, look, I don't know if I'm right, but this sort of smacks of a measure of, uh, you know, crying poor almost. Oh, look, we, we have to cut back the, you know, the, the, the swabbies and the vets on course because uh, we, can't, we, we can't afford it. it. It almost smacks of sort of crying poor please, government, give us some more money. Now, look, no dramas uh, with Cura getting more money, I guess, for, for you know, if they desperately need it for this sort of stuff. But then you look at other areas that they've spent money in and you just sort of shake your head. So, look, David, um, I have a feeling that there will be change. Um, what that change is, I'm not exactly sure, whether it's a change to you know certain positions there, whether it's a change to the whole structure of the organisation, which, which let's frankly, you know, let's face it, it's been under the microscope since it was established. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. But look, let's not forget as well, this is a state election year, isn't it? So, look, I mean, if there's a change of government, I mean, that could, you know, I, I mean, that could greatly sway things as well. But look, I... I I take your point. Initially, when I heard about the review, I sort of thought, oh, they're, they're just going to sort of glanhead this and be, be looked at doing the right thing. But I, I get the feeling there has to, it's getting to the point where there has to be some serious action. What that action is, I'm not exactly sure. Well, I, I think the industry really has to grasp this, uh, this opportunity through this review and, and go full bore, uh, say, what, say what you think, base it on fact, uh, look for solutions uh, for the short term and long term, even look at the model and you go back to the, the creation of Keurig in 2016. At that time, I'll never forget the, the, the media briefing I was at. I was thinking to myself, this sounds like this is going to become a bureaucracy, just like an arm of government. And uh, to be fair, almost eight years down the track, those feelings uh, haven't dissipated one iota. And to your other point, uh, I think it's uh, the worst kept secret in the world that um, Keurig does cry poor and uh, makes... Um, uh, uh, or, or makes offers to, to racing Queensland for more money, to the government for more money. So the question has to be asked itself. Why, why is the budget blowing out at Keurig? So a lot of questions to be answered, a lot of water to flow under the bridge with this review and will follow with interest. But, but certainly uh, reducing key personnel like vets and swab attendants is a step in the wrong direction. Well, a step in the right direction is a story you wrote... Uh, of course, we heard all about Stormboy. Well, he's been a big story this year for a number of reasons. One, of course, winning the Magic Millions in brilliant fashion. And then, of course, the the payment plan by Coolmore, the sale that was discussed last week or announced last week. But you've sort of taken a different angle today. Oh, yeah. Look, we've heard about all the, the sort of flash harries at Coolmore and, and you know, the, the, the top end of town. But, look, I, I dug down into the other side, Cunningham Thoroughbreds, a Queensland-based operation that were the managing owners of um, Stormboy. They own 20% of Stormboy. Now, this is very much a family operation. Some of the listeners may be familiar with them. But look, I, I had a good chat to Mitchell Cunningham, uh, who's the director of Cunningham Thoroughbreds. They've also got a breeding arm as well. And basically, I, I found the story just fascinating. I mean, Mitchell spent 10 years, that's a decade if you don't mind, flying commercial planes mm. in Asia. I, I mean, he comes to racing, he always had racing in his blood, but he comes to it from a really non-traditional pathway I guess I mean he was jetting around the world he actually said to me he said I'll tell you what he said uh Stormboy might be one thing but in general he said flying planes is a hell of a lot less risky than involved in horse racing so I sort of took his point there but of course he's much loved mum Lee, who uh, some of our listeners might know uh, she as well has been battling breast cancer thankfully uh, she's in remission now but look she's very much um, you know, well, Dad, Gary and, and Mitchell, uh, who I spoke to, I, I guess is sort of at the forefront of the business. Mum, Lee is really the heart and soul, I guess, of the business. And she's faced some really worrying health times uh, in recent years. As I said, thankfully, she's on the uptick. But look, a really, really great tonic for this family. Uh, and a Queensland story, David, I, I reckon that I really enjoyed uh, digging down into. So they've reduced their share 
uh, in storm by from 20% to 5%. So they, they're still, uh, the horse will still race in their colours, to, uh, you know, onwards to the Golden Slipper. After the Golden Slipper, it will race in the Coolmore colours, but they have um, effectively sold 15% of their share, when, which when you think about a deal, it could be worth potentially $60 million. That's some big biscuits right there. So good on Cunningham Thoroughbreds, and uh, they'll, of course, be ploughing a lot more money uh, or, or significantly more money into the Australian racing industry as a result of this sale. So, you know, that speaks volumes of, of their level of commitment as well. So, yeah, really nice story, I thought, David. Have a look at it on Racenet. We've got a, a Warwick Farm trial session this morning in Sydney. It just commenced. They've had that first trial. I'll talk with Ray Thomas about that shortly. But um, in terms of Brisbane, we've got the Dooman trials tomorrow. I'll be there at the trials. And we're going to see Antino in action. Yeah, we will, I think. Tony Gollum, I have a huge team there. Although I might have the numbers wrong, but I'm, I'm pretty sure someone told me you might even have up to 30 or 40 trials or something, yeah. which is quite extraordinary. I, I may have those numbers a little bit wrong, but certainly a large team. But yeah, look, Antino, uh, we'll see the rafts come off him. Look, Tony Gollum is convinced this is a very, very nice horse. Of course, we saw him group one placed in the Melbourne uh, Spring in the two rack. It looked like he was going to win, didn't it, there? But um, just couldn't quite get over the line with his with his head in front. Uh, everything went wrong in Sydney in the, in the Five Diamonds. When he went down there, he'd probably come to the end of his preparation. It just wasn't his day. But Tony's setting him on course for a Doncaster mile campaign. He, he says, look, this horse, I feel, has already proved him, you know, himself at Group 1 handicap level in Melbourne. Admittedly, that's not the Doncaster, uh, but he feels like Antino's really uh, improved. Of course, wouldn't it be great to see Antino uh, obviously missed out on the Stradbroke last year, but wouldn't it be great uh, if he could somehow bounce into a Queensland winter as well? Of course, that depends on entirely, I guess, on what happens uh, in Sydney, how long the campaign goes, at what point Tony Gollum pulls up stumps. Um, but, of course, Stradbroke Handicap now worth $3 million, uh, is a race that every Queensland trainer wants to win. So I personally, whatever happens in Sydney, if there's a chance we could see him uh, in Brisbane, it would be terrific, I think, for Queensland racing. 100%. Yeah, we'll be at the trials tomorrow. And, of course, Steve will have a report during the morning on Racing HQ. Looking towards Victoria, you've got a, a wide brief, but... Uh, probably the worst kept secret is that Gilbert Glockland is going to be appointed the Racing Victoria chairman. Um, his relationship with Peter Volandis, is there one or not? Yeah, there is to some extent. And you're right, this is the worst kept secret in history. I think I, I wrote about this in, in my column back in August last year or something along those lines. I mean, we're now in, in February and it's sort of making news again. But look, unless everything falls over, it will happen. But look, I think Gil McLaughlin, I don't know him, but he's obviously got significant uh, sporting gravitas through his work at the AFL, significant business gravitas, and importantly, Peter Volandis likes him. And I'll tell you what, he doesn't like many Victorians. So look, he's, um, you know, I saw messages with Peter last week, he thinks Gil's a good man. Um, and I saw Ray, actually, uh, who you'll speak to uh, soon, did a story last week, late last week as well, pretty much saying the same thing, that, that sort of, you know, he thinks Gil would be a good appointment for racing Victoria. So I think he may be the only Victorian that, that um, Peter Volandis actually likes. <laughs> He's not a fan of Victorians in general. But, look, that's that's good news. I yeah. mean, if, if, if this goes as expected, I mean, there has been a, a massive Cold War, hasn't there, between New South Wales and Victoria... And if Gil McLaughlin is chairman and Peter Volandis can get their head together at some point this year, which I'm sure they will uh, if Gil takes the job, and, you know, clearly they're competitors, aren't they? Uh, but if there's some common ground to work on there uh, and if there's a soaring of the ice, wouldn't that be terrific? This selling or non-selling of Sandown has been a long, long story. A bit of news came to light last week. Oh, yeah, it just seems to have been going on oh. since Jesus was a boy, this story, doesn't it? But, look... There was a bit of news. Uh, one option for the sale of Sandown uh, was a partial sale, as in, you know, you could potentially uh, keep it as a racing venue but sell some of it off for, for housing development or, or, or sort of manufacture different pieces of it to, to suit your own style. But, look, that was officially ruled out last week by the Melbourne Racing Club uh, as part of their master plan. Uh, so basically, I suppose the situation is now, and we're no, clo uh, no closer to knowing which, David, but Sandown will either be so sold holus bolus, the whole thing mm. will be gone, or it won't be sold at all. There'll be absolutely no middle ground. So look, I suppose it doesn't take the story a whole lot further, uh, but the partial sale of Sandown will definitely not be happening. There's a lot of strong opposition from the industry to selling Sandown, particularly because the track is such a good track, one of the, the fairer tracks in Australia with its uh, 
long straights and sweeping turns. But as we said, a story that has seems to have no ending. But we have to end now this morning. You have a good day. We'll talk soon. Thanks, David. There is Ben Dorries joining us and, uh, of course, uh, always first with the news. Speaking of Melbourne, of course, Group 1 Racing again there this Saturday with the Black Caviar Lightning at Flemington, 1,000 metres. And Imperatrice, isn't she going to create a lot of interest this week in discussions? $1.70. Some questioning her trial recently, but we know she is an outstanding race mare. $4.50 Private Eye, who resumes as well. And then I'm Unstoppable at $5. Bella Nepatina and Cylinder round out the single figures each at $8. Ray Thomas is with us this morning. Ray, good morning. How are you? Good morning, David. Good morning, everyone. And may I stress, filling in for my number one man, Mitch Cohen, who's on holidays. Yeah, he's got a couple more weeks off and thoroughly deserved. He held the fort whilst I had that extended break. So um, I think he's up in your part of the world, um, David. So, Mitch, enjoy your break and we'll see you in a couple of weeks, mate. We start with a, a topic that, that is certainly not new and it's been discussed quite uh, extensively, but it's worth repeating on the back of fully lit winning the Inglis Millennium on Saturday at Royal Randwick. This strike rate with Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott with their two-year-olds this season, I think yesterday I, I said it's hard to find an adjective. It's extraordinary, it's astonishing, mm. it's outstanding, it's all of the above. Just give us those raw figures again, if you could, Ray. Yeah, it's 12 individual winners of 16 two-year-old races so far this season. Of course, we're just at the halfway mark, but to put that into context, they have trained the winners, obviously, of the Magic Millions with Storm Boy, the Golden Gift with Shangri-La Express, now the English Millennium with Fully Lit, plus the Canonbury with Pross, the Widden Stakes Lady of Camelot. They trained the trifecta in the Breeders' Plate won by Espionage. Extraordinary depth of two-year-old talent and if all things are equal going into the golden slipper, and of course anything can happen in racing, we know that, but the stable could have seven or eight runners in the golden slipper. I checked in the record books and John Hawkes holds the record with seven runners. Mm-hmm. So uh, they are um, having an extraordinary season with their two-year-olds and Storm Boy is the benchmark, but that horse on Saturday fully lit. I know it was a restricted race, the English Millennium, but it was a fair win day, but he was three and four wide exposed from the jump, but his acceleration at about the 300 metre mark when he took control of the race was quite exceptional. He's unbeaten and uh, he's certainly doing the job at the moment. She's almost following in her dad's footsteps, Gay, isn't she? Because one of, you know, Tommy Smith I think was the leading trainer with 33 years mm. in Sydney, but uh, one of the, the hallmarks uh, of his training profile, one of the, the standouts was his great success with two-year-olds. Yeah. Yeah, I actually spoke to, to Gay for a story I'm going to do later in the week and also to Adrian and I asked Gay about the, the Talek Lodge formula and it, it it's almost simplistic but um, it stood the test of time. It's um, Gay and Adrian are experts getting their two-year-olds well-educated to come out of the barriers. They jump well, they put themselves on speed. Two-year-old races are over short courses, so if you're up on the speed, you're, you're making your own luck and you're invariably hard to beat. That was the Metallic Lodge formula that Tommy Smith perfected that Gay Waterhouse watched and learnt and then introduced when she started training. Now, of course, Gay and Adrian together are doing exactly the same. They get their two-year-olds up early. Um, I did ask Adrian about that. But he said that they're all individuals. It's not like they have a mass of two-year-olds that come through and run early part of the season, but they identify those two-year-olds that can get up and running in the early part of the season. And we've seen over the years too, David, that invariably if a two-year-old has had a campaign in spring or the early part of summer, then comes back for autumn, they're better prepared for that tough grinding golden slipper campaign. So in that regard, Gay and Adrian are well placed with the likes of Storm Boy, Shangri-La Express and Straight Charge, for example. Look forward to reading that story later in the week. That's a good segue to my next uh, point of conversation with you. Uh, the golden slipper, of course, is Australia's greatest two-year-old race. Yet, uh, somewhat surprisingly, that meeting, the golden slipper meeting, hasn't been, or may have been considered, but hasn't been included in one of the, 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 for the World Pool meetings here in Australia. Yeah, I found this quite remarkable too, David. And when I was off, um, uh, just before I came back, I did notice a release was put out, read the World Pool, and 
the expanded schedule of races this year and I got around to writing something about it late last week and in Sydney, of course, last spring the Everest was the first whirlpool race included from Sydney. This year, um, the whirlpool organisers have expanded the Australian feature racing schedule to include the championships, both days of the championships. The Tankred Stakes on March 30, along with the Australian Cup meeting, plus the Blue Diamond. And I found it staggering that the Golden Slipper on March 23, the only race meeting in Australia that has five Group 1 races on the program. We know the Golden Slipper is a huge driver of betting interest and punter interest. And indeed, it's a race recognised around the world. But it wasn't included in the revised schedule. And I did go to Racing New South Wales to ask um, what the situation was. They don't have any real input into the final schedule. They recommend certain race days and race meetings, etc., like Victoria do. But the final decision is made in Hong Kong. There are obviously other variables as well, David, but I, I just I cannot see the reason why the Golden Sipper meeting, which some would argue is the best in Australia each and every year, is not part of that world pool. And by what you say there, or what I understand you say, uh, obviously that, that decision won't be revisited. It's now done and dusted. Yeah, I, I wonder, uh, only because there'll be... Uh, more pressure applied now because um, the decisions made out of Hong Kong were made without um, advising the Australian racing clubs until after the press release came out, which is another thing I found quite remarkable. David, you would think there'd be consultation and um, some opinion then gleaned from those who were involved. Oh, we're going to put, for example, the Tankwood Stakes meeting on. I'm sure Racing New South Wales and the ATC would have returned serve and said, oh, you should put the Golden Silver ahead of it, for example, and things like that. So uh, that didn't happen. So I just wonder whether we might hear a little bit more about this in coming days and weeks. Fair enough. We look forward to hearing that. If it does happen, Warwick Farm trials on this morning. There was a, a plethora of talent in the opening mm. trial. I'll give the result down the page because they're all worth mentioning. Don Corleone for, for Snowden's won the trial. Tommy Berry riding just beat Think About It second, King's Gambit third, then Marzu Argentia, Madame Pomery, Corniche, Hinged and Cole Crusher, 48-53 and 3361. It's hard to sort of pick out one ahead of the others here in terms of discussion, mm. but Think About It's trial second. Did you have a look at it? I certainly did. I'm not sure if you had a chance to look at it because you would have been on air, David, but oh, he, he was just exceptional. He, he jumped well, sort of settled third, just behind the leaders, eased out sort of wide in the straight, absolutely cruised up under Sam Clipperton. He, he never released the brakes on Think About. This is his first trial. He's been beaten ahead by Don Corleone, who trialled quite well and quite sharply for Don Corleone, to be fair. King's Gambit rallied through late on the inside, an eye-catching third. I thought Marzu trialled quite nicely. He's now a, a new recruit for the Joe Pride stable, but I think out of that trial, um, obviously, think about its return. Everyone was watching him. It was exceptional. Like at a barrier trial again, David, before he resumes in the, the Canterbury Stakes on March 9, and as has been well publicised in recent weeks, Joe Pride wants to take think about it out in distance this mm. autumn. The Doncaster is the the main aim on April 6, and he could even back up in the Queen Elizabeth Stakes at 2,000 metres. But exceptional trial from an outstanding talent, but Don Corleone, King's Gambit, Mars, who also trial very well. Interesting to see Jamie Carr rode King's Gambit in that trial yeah. there. Um, mm. Saturday, we we touched on fully lit, um, clearly the, the best performance. Well, what I, well, the winning performance often is the best performance, but there were a couple of honourable mentions, particularly the, the second and the third horse. Uh, uh, they both ran well. Yeah, Rag Queen. What a run that was. Mm. Um, I actually spoke to David Payne about Rag Queen on Friday. She's run third. And um, on Friday, David wasn't that confident. He was worried that her win at Canterbury in the midweeks on debut that she wouldn't quite measure up to what were some talented two-year-olds in that race. Ruta Royal, Royale, you mentioned, ran a very good second, but Ray Queen's run coming from near last, weaving through the field, her last 100 metres, she's just attacked the line so strongly. And it's only a small little filly, but um, quite an exceptional performance, I thought, from an up-and-comer. Um, Nymphadora, a lot of press about Nymphadora going into the race 
one of the part owners is stricken with uh, pancreatic cancer, sadly, but he was there on track on Saturday, and that really gave um, his owners a terrific run for their money. She was four and five wide all the way, David, without any cover. She was still there at the 100-metre mark trying to chase down fully lit. Her effort to finish sixth, also exceptional. Some good runs behind the winner, but when you look back at the replay, fully lit, cover that extra ground, which some might say was the best place to be on Saturday, certainly away from the inside at least, but he had to cover that extra ground. But that acceleration I mentioned earlier, uh, I think that was the key from that race. He, he can do it at both ends. He's cold, he's tough, and he's got that um, impressive burst of speed even when he's racing up on speed, when he can put races to bed, so to speak, and I, I thought it was quite a, uh, an impressive win. Yes, well, I think you, you make a, a more than reasonable point that, that sitting three or four wide wasn't a disadvantage, whether you were exposed or with cover. And one that was three wide exposed was Caballos. They didn't go overly hard in the Eskimo Prince, but his turn-up speed was most impressive. And it comes back to the old story, Ray, having that fitness edge. He'd had that one run on the board, yeah. whereas most of his rivals were first up. Indeed, all of his six rivals were first up, and, and Josh Parr made mention of that fact post-race. He was conscious that Cabalas had had that lead-up run, and when he won very impressively at Rose Hill. I'm not sure what to make of this Colt, um, David, because uh, he beat some really handy or classy three-year-olds very impressively there. He's certainly on the rise, this Colt. He's an impressive horse. Um, at this stage, the plans are to take him to Melbourne next, mm. that English three-year-old sprint. It's a million-dollar race at Flemington up the straight. But all you can do is win. His two runs for Bjorn Baker have been very, very good. The run of Macarena, I thought, was the run of the race. Her sectional's coming home to run second. Excellent. The only filly in the race. And remember, Dave, it was only a fourth start. She's had one campaign prior to this. So... She's very lightly raced, very inexperienced, terrific run under the circumstance to be beaten just under a length and closing on Cabalas late. She'll go straight to the Group 1 surround stakes, back against her own age and, and sex, the Phillies, and she should be hard to beat. NCAP, very good first up, running third. He'll go to the Hobart full. And don't write off Tom Kitten just yet. I know he's run sixth, beaten three and a half lengths, but his last 100 metres was his best. He's being set for the Randwick Guineas, but primarily the ATC Australian Derby. So when he gets to 1,600 metres and beyond, particularly at Randwick, watch out for Tom Kitten. Yeah, it was always going to be super difficult for him the way they mm. didn't go overly hard and then sprinted sub-34. We do go up a notch this Saturday. We're back at Royal Randwick, and, of course, we've got three Group 2s, the Expressway at 1,200, the Apollo at 1,400, and the Tab Lightfingers at 1,200. And, of course, so the Triscay Group 3 for the Mayors. You write this morning in the, the Daily Telegraph, we'll be seeing Fangirl this Saturday. Yeah, look, we saw her between races at Randwick on Saturday too, David, and uh, Chris Waller had three of his potential Apollo horses gallop between races, and they were militarised and Buckaroo who galloped together, and then a few hundred metres behind, Fangirl went solo, and the exhibition gallops, David, you're reading to them what you will, but primarily this is a... Um, a, a formula that Chris Waller uses quite often with his Group 1 horses. He gives them a gallop the Saturday before at the race meeting just to get the edge off them, just to take the nerves away and to get them familiar with the race day surrounds again. And So she'll resume in the Apollo. Of course, she ran, I think, second to Animo in this race last year, resumed in spring, won the Wink Stakes, won the King Charles, the old George Main, was unlucky in the Cox Plate. But Chris Waller made a, a, a statement which certainly pricked my ears on Saturday. He said she's now a stronger mare than she's ever been. And he said that as a three- and four-year-old, her lack of strength probably told against her at times. But now she's at her physical peak. And despite her impressive record, and particularly what she did in spring, we could be set to see Fangirl go to another level this autumn and she'll be hard to beat in anything, provided, of course, um, we do get relatively dry tracks. She's at her best on firm tracks. Soft five, soft six, okay, but nothing worse. Mm. Just in closing, and just going back to the two-year-olds, and I, I may mention this yesterday on Pass the Post, numbers have been sort of light in two-year-old racing on the eastern seaboard, but I've got to mm. say, Ray, this is one of the strongest years for two-year-olds. When you look at the depth of talent in Sydney and also in Melbourne, like it's going to be a very strong blue diamond this year, and it's always a good golden slipper, but there's a lot of good two-year-olds around. 
There certainly is. You mentioned the Blue Diamond on Saturday. Um, the Preludes last weekend at Caulfield. Bodyguard, very good. Um, high Octane, both trained by Team Snowden. High Octane, the unlucky runner in that Prelude. Then you come back to Sydney, we've got Stormboy set to resume in the skyline in a couple of weeks. We'll see Switzerland this weekend, possibly also um, Shangri-La Express. What a clash that would be in the Piero. Mm. Every week now between here and Golden Slipper Day on March 23, the two-year-olds just have so much interest, don't they, David? And you're right, the depth of quality in this this crop, um, both in Sydney and indeed in Melbourne, um, yeah, it's, we've had years when we've had good two-year-olds, but have we had a year when there's been so many promising two-year-olds emerge that haven't sort of clashed yet? So in coming weeks, yeah. it's going to be some fascinating racing. 100%. Thanks, Ray. I appreciate you joining me this morning. Thanks so much, David. Ray Thomas joining us with all of the news out of Sydney. Speaking of the Blue Diamond, on the 24th of February, Lady of Camelot just easing slightly. She was $4 yesterday, now four fifty. This has been the firmer in the last 24 hours when we discussed the market on past the post, but we said Bodyguard seemed to be good odds at $6, considering what he's done, two from two. He's now at $5, and Coleman shares the second line of betting with him at $5. High Octane, unlucky on Saturday, $8, and Stay Focused, who was beaten by Bodyguard, but certainly not out of the equation, $9. That rounds out the single figures as far as the Blue Diamond is concerned. And a little further down the track, of course, the Golden Slip-Up on the 23rd of March, and naturally enough, the favourite is Storm Boy, uh, $3 with Switzerland at 8. Lady of Camelot there at 9 with Shangri-La Express. And they're the four at single figures. Next best, Espionage at $13. We'll take a break here on Press Room. Thanks for your company this morning. A lot to discuss with Ben Scannon on the other side of the break. West is best. Don't miss the next superstar to emerge from WA at the Perth Yearling Sale at the Magic Millions Swan Valley Complex on February 22 and 23. Recent graduates of the sale include Group 1 winners Bustler, Portland Sky and She's a Belter, plus champion Juvenile and now crack three-year-old Super Schmink. The 2024 catalogue features 352 outstanding lots by 90 individual sires from local champions to Australia's best. To view the catalogue, visit magicmillions.com.au. At TAB, we're on for faster live vision. You can now stream Sky 1 and Sky 2 action up to 14 seconds faster than ever before. So whether it's thoroughbreds, greyhounds or harness, you can now beat the jump with faster live sky racing vision. New on the TAB app. TAB, we're on. Available on the TAB app to TAB account holders on the TAB iOS app. T's and C's apply. What's gambling really costing you? For free and confidential support, visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. From Derby victories to classic features, NZB Standard Bread is your source of elite harness racing success. With the oldest five years of age, graduates have laid claim to 53 Group 1 wins and 137 stakes wins, while Kiwi Standard Breads claimed 46% of all eligible Group 1 races in Australasia last season. The next crop of racetrack champions are on offer at the 2024 National Standard Bread Yearling Sale at Karaka and Christchurch from the 18th to 21st of February. NZBstandardbread.co.nz Don't just get a forklift. Right now, Toyota Material Handling is having a massive clear-out of 2023 plated forklifts. Score a great deal across a selected range of new Toyota forklifts currently in stock. Counterbalance and reach forklifts, walkie stackers and more. So if it's 2023 plated, get a great Toyota forklift deal. Visit toyotamaterialhandling.com.au Get a Toyota forklift. Season C's apply. Offer ends March 31st. You're listening to Press Room with David Fowler on Radio Tab. If it's Equine or Canine, your one-stop shop is Garrard's Horse and Hound. There are 13 stores across Australia and New Zealand. Garrard's Horse and Hound stock all the big names and they provide the very best in veterinary services. You can buy the products online, horseandhound.com.au. There's a free call number, 1-800-060-896. 1-800-060-896. Garrard's Horse and Hound present Press Room each and every Monday. Ben Scadden joins me from Adelaide now. Ben, good morning. Morning, David. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I wanted to discuss something up first, an interesting talking point, and it was a point of discussion last week. Last Sunday, the, um, the meeting was scheduled for Balaclava, but due to the predicted heat, the meeting was transferred to the Monday. So as such, yep. with no racing in Victoria at this time of the year on a Monday... Balaclava had a great deal of exposure uh, via racing.com and it led to the to a, a talking point. Would um, 
some meetings in South Australia be better served on a Monday rather than a Sunday when Victoria is not racing? Uh, does the increased exposure yeah. equate to increased turnover? Yeah, well, the, the turnover thing, we outside of the industry, we, we kind, of, kind of never know the answer to that, do we? We don't see turnover figures anymore. We used to be able to pretty much jump online and see what the turnover was, TAB turnover was for any meeting anywhere, but those those numbers are no longer readily available. It, it's an interesting one. Um, a club like Balaclava, I think, would to some degree rely on volunteers for some of the service they provide on, on track. Um, and obviously Sunday makes it easier for them. Um, but having said that, they, they race very regularly on a Wednesday as well. So, um, yeah, it would be really interesting to see those numbers. Obviously, in terms of on-track attendance, Monday um, is going to be very quiet. Um, Sunday, you've got a chance to get a few more people there. Just that balance, isn't it, in terms of um, revenue they can generate by people being on course in terms of catering, those kind of things. But, look, let's not pretend there's going to be thousands of people at Balaclava on a Sunday um, in the middle of summer anyway. So, um, yeah, it is, it's, a, it's a very interesting one. I'm, hopefully, well, I'm sure they would be racing SA would have, would have tracked the performance of that meeting in terms of turnover um, and how it did stack up. Um, but as you said, on, on those days where there's virtually no other competition, you know that Balaclava, if people are interested in horse racing on a Monday, then Balaclava is absolutely centre stage. And you can't say that that's not the case very often. No, exactly. There, there are points on both sides. From the club's point of view, they probably lean to a Sunday. You mentioned the volunteers, but also they can attract more people on a weekend than they can on a, a weekday when, when people are working. So... That's uh, they've got to look at their position from a, from a you know a bottom line a commercial bottom line, but I think overall we're not talking about every um, you know w- weekend, uh, but in that space where Victoria doesn't race, I think there is a good opportunity there for South Australian racing to seize upon it, because you do get the almost exclusivity and all eyes on, on yeah. Balaclava, and it's an important point you make, and one would hope that uh, Racing SA will look at those figures carefully, maybe compare them to a similar Sunday meeting from 12 months ago and, uh, you know, look down the track to, to possibly running some of these these meetings on Mondays rather than, than Sundays. Of course, What's... but even within that, that positive argument, there are two sides. Uh, one can say, well, if Balaclava's won out, uh, all the money goes to Balaclava. Some will say when Balaclava is accompanied by other meetings... Uh, strength in numbers, so to speak, because some people might say, there's only one meeting, I'm not betting today. So there's there's two ways of looking at that within the positive argument as well. Yeah, yeah, it is an interesting one. Like I said, it's unfortunate we don't see those numbers in terms of turnover anymore. And turnover is much much more complicated than purely um, TAB turnover. Obviously, there's turnover through corporate bookmakers and, you know, revenue that's generated through them as well. So it's, um, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's a, it's a very complicated beast. Monday is, is a day that traditionally we haven't raced in South Australia other than on public holidays. So um, generally Monday and Tuesday is pretty clear. Wednesday is the regular provincial meeting, occasionally race country or provincial on a Thursday, the odd Friday, and then obviously Saturday and Sunday are reasonably popular. But Monday and Tuesday are pretty much clean skins in terms of racing in South Australia. Your feature race on Saturday was the JRA played one by the map wasn't really liked in the betting and a good performance, particularly a good training performance by, by Dan Clark and Obi McGilvray to get him ready first up. Hadn't raced since late November. Yeah, she's really she's good, wasn't she? And Yeah, I was one of one of those who thought, oh, maybe she's not quite ready for this because I, I knew their aim was the Adelaide Cup and um, this could have been just a tune-up run where she's back and just makes good ground late and a bit of an eye-catcher. But, yeah, I thought she was, she was really impressive. They've... Um, They've been very, very meticulous in terms of preparation. Her aim is 100% the Adelaide Cup, and um, they've based everything around that. They, I know previously Dan Clark had said that when they tip her out in the paddock, she can put on a fair bit of weight, and they takes a long time to get her back where she needs to be. So she, she didn't really have a have a proper spell after that win on um, Melbourne Cup Day at Flemington. She uh, she just had a like a week in the paddock, but was. Um, was still kind of semi in work, and then she's been back up and building up again now. So she was she's very sharp. Um, yeah, you'd expect that you'll see her in that um, in that Lord Reams on on the in the lead up to the cup, and then on on Cup Day. And who's to say in um, you know 
nine months time that she isn't actually back to Flemington for a bigger staying race on that um, first Tuesday in November. That'd be a dream for them, obviously. They did nominate her for the Melbourne Cup last year and she didn't quite make it. Um, but, yeah, she's certainly very progressive and they, that stable is going super well at the moment too. Speaking of that stable, you're you, you spot on that they are going super. They produced a first starter on Wednesday at Murray Bridge and had a bit of a wrap on it and ran up to the wrap, a horse called <laughs> a Samurai Mind. And going through the owners, I noticed one of the part owners is a Mr G McLaughlin. Yeah, Gillan McLaughlin, former uh, former boss of the AFL, um, very well known. The McLaughlin family uh, uh, hail from South Australia, and James Jordan, um, who I think bred this this horse, the Samurai Mind, with Gil McLaughlin. They've obviously known each other for a fair fair chunk of time. Bedell Francis, who we talked about recently, former um, chair of the SAJC, she's um, chief executive of Greyhound Racing SA, and has just moved back to be um, Chief Executive of the Oakbank Racing Club. She's also among the ownership group. So a few heavy hitters there. And um, you're right, there was, a, there was a bit of a rap that he was going to um, going to deliver on, on Wednesday at Murray Bridge. And he, uh, look, he looked like he was in a hopeless position, maybe 200 metres out, but he kind of burst between runners. And he was, he was really strong late. And I hope that he can end up being a horse that's um, maybe up to race like the Moorfield Guineas. He's got a long way to go from Murray Bridge Maiden to a race like that, but... He was certainly impressive. He's well bred as well. He's by Seamus Award out of a out of a nice race mare Philip Stokes used to have called Mo Fem. So um, yeah, I think there's a lot of upside to a Samurai Mind, and if he races well, there'll be plenty of publicity around him as well. It was a long path to get there. I know that, and uh, I was delighted for for James and his family, as well as the other owners that a Samurai Mind got there. He's always had a very good opinion of this this uh, three year old. So we look forward to seeing him next time out. Um, what about on Saturday? Uh, I think a lot of people saw Kuryanagi win at Gawler and thought, well, you know, beat a, f- a few horses. It was a, it seemed to be a quantum leap to go to that Blue Diamond Prelude on Saturday. At the 100 metres, I thought she was going to win. Yeah, look, and she was really good, wasn't it? Like, it's not... It's not necessarily natural for a horse like her to, um, you know, who's very new to be going up on the ins- inside along the rail. You, mm. you expect horses to finish up down the outside, and she... Um, yeah, she was really good, wasn't she? The other horse out wide, um, you know, ha- obviously had had momentum, which was a which was a factor as well. But yeah, she's right. She's right up to her teeth in a race like the Blue Diamond. You expect based on what we saw on Saturday, she's very promising. I wasn't completely certain that she was um, going to going to be up to that level, but she absolutely proved that she was, didn't she? She was she was absolutely super. I thought it was a. Uh, it was a really good run and exciting times for that stable. They have produced some nice horses, but um, maybe this filly's going to be the best of the lot. Certainly. I was, I was actually at Morfordville last Thursday to watch a couple of horses trial. I did see Sharipper in action. Uh, looked good in the trial. Won by a good space. Ran time. Yeah, he's looking good, isn't he? And yeah, like I said, he ran 58, something, I think, for the 1,000 metres. He's... He's smack bang on target for the Oakley Plate. That was just a nice little tune-up. He's got a couple of weeks to go to get to that race, but um, based on what we saw on Thursday, he, he looks very sharp. Shane and Cassie Oxlade do a, do a super job with them. They've obviously got Cumin as well. He's potentially going to run in that same race. Um, but he was um, he was super impressive, I thought, Sharipa. He, um, yeah, he looks he looks smack bang on target. I mean, you know, a trial is, is not too serious to hit out, but as you said, the time was really good. Um, yeah, exciting times for that team to see where he ends up in a in a Group One. It already proved he's a, a talent in Melbourne, winning the, the Christmas Stakes at Caulfield, and of course the Standish at Flemington. What about at uh, at Morfordville on Saturday? I was just reading the stewards' report this morning, and uh, they didn't miss a few jockeys in terms of the whip. <laughs> Somebody obviously had their counter out. It's really unusual, isn't it? Sometimes it's, it's feel like they they started before. At the start of the day, they got together and said, OK, boys, we're going to count the the, uh, the use of the whip today. And maybe they do that all the time. And it was just a day where a lot of jockeys offended. I don't, I don't know. But, um, yeah, Sam Payne and Todd Pannell were both su- suspended for whip offences, so overuse of the whip. Callum Murray, Lockie Nindorf and Rochelle Milnes all fined for overuse of the whip. So, um, look, I was thinking about this, and there's no really simple solution other than to police it and um and make sure that these um that the jockeys are aware of the rules and and adhere to them it's um yeah it is a it is a tricky one because it, you know it's not a great look and you know that that whip rule is in there for a reason um 
but when you see a, a couple suspended and three of them fine, you kind of think, well, maybe it's not sinking in yet. Go to the southeast yesterday, of course. Uh, the Narrow Court Cup was won by Farouk for Sue Murphy. Jacob yeah. Opperman had the ride at 14 bucks. But speaking of the country, of course, the KI Carnival, a Kangaroo Island Carnival, starts this Thursday. Yeah, and I've still never been. And I, I reckon I've talked about it with you for about the past five years. That Even I I've said been. I have. I had to, <laughs> not, even, not even from South Australia, right? I've lived here basically my entire life, and I've never been to the Kangaroo Island Cup. I've been to Kangaroo Island, but I've never been to the Cup meeting. So, yeah, it kicks off on on Thursday, then obviously Big Cup Day on Saturday. Uh, I was reading that the uh, corporate has, hospitality is, is basically booked out and has been booked out for months and months. They're predicting a crowd of, like, three to 4,000, which is uh, which is pretty massive for a, for a meeting like uh, like Kangaroo Island. I mean, that's... You know, that's not a not a million miles off the uh, the attendance they get to a race like the Adelaide Cup. So yeah, it'd be a be a wonderful atmosphere and maybe twenty twenty five for me. Possibly. And uh, speaking <laughs> of cups, uh, they're all coming up in a rush. Of course, the Adelaide Cup's only about a month away, but the Port Lincoln yep. Cup will be held on Friday, March one. And a whisper I've heard, I think you can put this in the bank, that next year, two thousand and twenty five, the Port Lincoln. Two-day carnival will reach, resume yeah, or return. So there's well, a it's lot. A, it's a des- it's a destination, isn't it? So it's a little bit like KI, and you can go over there, stay for a, stay for a few days, um, go to both race meetings. So I think holding over the two days does make sense because there's a lot to do around Port Lincoln. Um, so you could kind of head over there before the Thursday, go to both both um, both days of racing. It'll yeah, it'll make a lot of sense. I think. That's my long-range prediction. Good to talk to you, Ben. I'm sure you're right. Thanks, David. Cheers. Ben Scadden joining us in Adelaide. Well, of course, uh, we had a big weekend in Tassie. It was Hobart Cup Day yesterday. Let's go to the replay of the Hobart Cup. The favourite for the race was the Patrick Payne trade, a Lambra lad at $2.40. And the Boulder Rising Light has put the head in front of a Lambrelat as they come around the home turn. Aurora Symphony on the scene. Ashy Boy is next. Further back, Wycliffe. And then Grand Piero, top of the straight. Rising Light from a Lambrelat. Down the outside, Aurora Symphony. Further back is Wycliffe getting into the clear. Then Ashy Boy and Grand Piero. Aurora Symphony's clear, though, with 100 left to go. He's won two Launceston Cups. Add the Hobart Cup to it. Aurora Symphony comes on to win the cup easily wins by two and a half Wycliffe second Grand Piero third Ashy Boy ran fourth they were followed close up behind those horses by Travelling Gigolo as a ranker yes he was an $8.50 chance Aurora Symphony for Simon Wilde Jordan Charles had the right Colin McNiff called the action he's with us this morning how are you Colin? Yeah, very well, thanks, David. Uh, fabulous performance. This horse has only raced in Tasmania three times, so uh, three wins. Launceston Cup the past two years, and uh, first visit to Hobart and takes out the Hobart Cup, uh, carrying the top weight of 59.5 kilos. Uh, he's taken his prize money just on a million dollars, and I think just on half of that has been earned down here in Tasmania. Yeah, and the Victorians certainly stole it all round. They had the second place get a Wycliffe for Kieran Maher and Grand Pierre ran third for Jason Warren. And am I right in saying, was that a track, track record? Mm, yeah, yeah, it just eclipsed the track. Eight one-hundredths of a second it took off the track record that was set um, four years ago by a Turak Affair in the Cup. 2.30 and 21. Let's have a listen now to the, the, the Thomas Lions. This race at listed level. Our favourite here in an open betting race was Gigi's Gemstone. $4.40 the price. At the 400 metre mark, Turk Warrior from Bello Bow. Hell of a night, third over on the inside. King Island drops off. First accused comes out wide. And then Alpine Wolf and further back in the field is Gigi's Gemstone. He's got a lot of ground to make up. And the uh, Turk is well clear. 200 left to go. Turk Warrior leads away. First accused is coming down the outside. And just tribute making ground. Turk Warrior getting tired. First accused and just a tribute down the outside will beat them all. Just a tribute, a boil over in the Thomas Lions. Has beaten first, accused. I think Turk Warrior ran third. It's in a photo with Alpine Wolf. Gigi's gemstone got going when the race was all over. He's a horse who started his career in Victoria under the care of John Salonitri and now with Gary White. By the call there, Colin, you didn't give just a tribute much hope? Well, he was coming off a, uh, a last half third in a benchmark 68 in Launceston. He did win in Hobart prior to that over the 1,400 metres in 
benchmark seventy company. I know Gary White's always had a very good opinion. He's only had this horse uh, a little over twelve months, and uh, he did speak of it being a, a Thomas Lyons type horse twelve months ago. It didn't quite live up to expectations. Has had a few issues with this horse and breathing problems, but obviously had it uh, cherry ripe for this run yesterday, coming from last on the home turn to storm down the outside, get up and score and. Uh, Gary, uh, yeah, 68 years of age now. He's, he's trained multiple Hobart and Launceston Cup winners and uh, says that now he's in the twilight. He's starting to think about retirement and that was a great win for him. Well, the mainland players, very surreal and wings of song, uh, really cornered the market in the strut stakes. This is the listed race for the three-year-old fillies. Very surreal at 2.15, wings of song at 2.60. Let's, just, let's listen to how they fared. The leader, very so real, a neck in front, kaboom, kaboom, being called upon. And now to the outside, Wings of Song is looming up. They were followed by Badong, and further back came Girls, 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 and Overflow Miss around the home turn now. They straighten, and very so real, tackled by Wings of Song. Very so real, the inside. Wings of Song has got the head in front, 200 metres left to go. They're going to have a wonderful duel by the look of it. Girls, Girls, Girls is running on. Wings of Song in front. Girls, Girls. Girls, girls down the outside. Good finish. Wings of Song. Wings of Song wanted a head on the line. Girls, girls, girls. And third placing, very so real. Not too sure about fourth. In behind them there. She's a low flying, isn't she, Colin? Mm. Of course, already winning the, the thousand guineas and, and the, 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 the Tassie guineas. And now four wins on the bounce, in fact. Yeah, and the, and the last three, as you mentioned, in Hobart, Tassie guineas on January 5, then the thousand guineas January 21. Really strong performance to win there yesterday. Patrick Payne, the winning trainer, and uh, she'll no doubt head to the Oaks in Launceston in a fortnight. Probably most of the field will head to the Oaks and uh, we'll have a ring match between them. It was only a short hit uh, on the line, so it was a really good run. Girls, girls, girls coming out of that race was probably uh, the run uh, of the race uh, outside of the winner. But Wings of Song, just low flying. Another nice ride by Jai McNeil. Paddy Payne uh, is having a wonderful time down here. Didn't get the, uh, the favourite home in the Hobart Cup, but everything else he's uh, brought down here has been winning. Yeah, and speaking of Pat, of course, he won the Derby on Friday. He did with Bold Soul. Uh, that's his uh, third win in a row, in fact, in the Tasmania Derby. He's now one of the past uh, three years with the, the nephew, Dunkel, last year, and now Bold Soul. He, he's a very clever trainer. He targets races uh, with specific horses uh, and invariably he, he gets them across the line. And, of course, we had the... The, running, the first running of the Mystic Journey, formerly the Bow Mistress mm. Stakes for the Phillies and the Mares. And Lindsay Smith, who's keen to uh, form a bit of an association with uh, Seven Mile Beach trainer Imogen Miller. He's got some horses with Imogen at the present time. And they, in fact, Quinella, the uh, Mystic Journey, Yellow Sam winning from Imogen's horse, El Verena. So that was a, a wonderful achievement for that stable. But Lindsay very keen to, uh, to send more horses down here to Tasmania to race. Colin, thanks for your time. We'll talk soon. Cheers. Thanks, David. Colin McNiff joining us on Press Room this morning. That is Press Room for Monday the 12th of February.